Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. So, Utah Jazz get beat by the Lakers 116-108. And right away, Jazz fans, is the glass half full or is the glass half empty? Because I think in this game, you can see what you want to see. If you want to be down on the team, there is reason to be down on the team. There were problems. I think there were a couple of obvious problems we can all agree on. I know we love to disagree and debate and get on Twitter and light each other up, but I think there were some clear-cut problems and issues that really need to be fixed. <clears throat> Two of them jumped out at me big time, arguably three. Wait, there's going to be no arguing. I can't say that. Dang it. Ruined my own premise, didn't I? That was bad radio right there. That's what that was, bad radio. Okay, now, the glasses also have full. There are some things, if you want to hold on to and embrace, you can. Uh, Let's start with the negative. Uh, Number one, the three-point shooting was bad again. 28%. Jazz is shooting 26% from three in three games there. And we're talking about a team that shot 38% from three all season long. And 38% is a great number for a team. But they are way off that now. It's a huge problem. You know, you can do everything else on on the court right. You know, you can play hard. You can play smart. You can set great screens. You can space. You can execute. You can, uh, you know, protect the ball and eliminate turnovers. Although the Jazz didn't do that. Uh, We'll get to that. That's item number two. You can do all those things right, and you can create an open shot. But if you miss the open shot, you don't get any points for doing all the stuff right. Now, conversely, you can space poorly, set poor screens, but if someone rises up against pressure and sticks a shot right in some guy's face with the shot clock running down, yeah, you get the points. Making the shot, regardless of whether it's a good look, an average look, or a bad look, is what you get the points for. And the Jazz, you know, afterwards they can say, hey, we got great shots. Jeff Van Gundy said they got great shots. Donovan Mitchell said they got the shots they wanted. Sometimes they just don't fall. That's true. Three games in a row they haven't fallen. Now, I know some of you are saying, well, they've lost the home court advantage. True, they have. The crowd's positive, although most good teams have good crowds. Um, but the Jazz always do. Um, and certainly have the elevation, you know, and, and they've given that up. And they don't have the shooting background. But I checked the home road splits because I heard some people talking about it. I thought, you know, I kind of thought they shot it pretty well on the road. I was wrong. They shoot it great on the road. There is like literally like either one or two tenths of a point difference between their home and road percentages. I think it's one tenth. I think it was 38% home and 37.9 on the road. So that's got nothing to do with it. They shoot it everywhere, except as it turns out at the ESPN facilities in Orlando. Now, you can say law of averages, hey, miss them now and make them in the playoffs. (laughs) Well, okay, I'll take that trade. But right now, it's a huge problem. Now, I have to say, I'm going to exempt some guys. Uh, Morgan came in and made his only three. Moutier was one for two. He had that buzzer beater at the end of the third quarter. Uh, Mike Conley was three for nine. 33% isn't great, but it's also not awful and won't kill you. And Donovan Mitchell was four for ten. Had the four-point play. Also got fouled on the first possession of the game when he was shooting a three and got three free throws and made them all. So I'm, I'm going to give those guys a pass. But when we were talking about Bogdanovich is out, right, it hurts to lose a guy who scores 20 points a game. It hurts in an era when shooting's important. It hurts to, to lose a guy who shoots the ball that well. And when three-point shooting is important and is your Achilles heel, 
you really miss him. Now, we talked about different guys who could make up for him. You know, obviously Joe Ingles can shoot the three, but he was one for four. Obviously, Royce O'Neal has games where he shot the three well, but he was one for five. Obviously, there was more time for Niang to play, and he can shoot the three, but he was 0 for three. And obviously, Jordan Clarkson has been awesome off the bench all year long, but he's a terrible four for 17 against Oklahoma City. Well, he followed it up with a two for 13, and he was one for nine from three. So, you put those guys together, and you've got three for 21 from Clarkson, Niang, Ingles, and O'Neal. Now, I think they can all shoot the three. I think they've all shown that. I don't expect any one of them, no, excuse me, I don't expect every one of them to shoot it well every night. Right? They're going to ham and egg it. Guys have bad nights from three. The whole point of having a half a dozen guys, well, seven when you count um, Bogdanovich, but six now, is to have you know a couple guys off but four guys on. Well, Conley was average and Mitchell was good. Okay? That's fine. But you need two guys to go with those two guys. And all six aren't going to be on. I totally get that. I, I would be stunned if they were all on. If they were all on, I'd be worried what the team would do in their next game. But let's be honest. They've now had three bad games as a team. Uh, 28%, that's the good game? That's not good enough. You know, They need to be up in the mid to high 30s as a team. So that's the big thing. Number one, make three-pointers. They're really struggling there. Number two is the turnover thing I mentioned. You know, the, the 21 turnovers, and I thought the turnovers just came in bunches, middle to late third quarter. You could feel it slipping away. I mean, they were up. They were up, well, they were like, like four, and they give up a 19-2 to two run. Now, Moutier hit the three at the end, but they were still down 10 going to the fourth quarter. That's just too big a deficit. The Lakers are too good. And I thought they were really grinding there for two and a half quarters, you know, maybe two quarters and eight minutes. And, and then it just unraveled. And it wasn't just that they turned it over. I thought some of them were soft. You know, just, just careless with the ball, bad decision-making, should have seen it coming. And really what happened is they went to the bench. When they went to the bench in the first half, I wondered, because I thought they got off to a strong start. They went to the bench, and, and, you know, it was all right. And they hung in there, and they kept trading hoops, and it was a close game. But, man, they went to the bench in the third quarter, and after a couple minutes, it just unraveled. You know, you just – the Lakers are too good to give up a 19-2 to run. You know, they're going to make runs. I'd sign off that 100%. But you need to make it a 15-6 to run, right? You need to take a couple away from them and, and get a couple of your own hoops. And I really think that's what Clarkson is there for. Even when things are going bad, you expect him to score. So at least it's not you get stopped, they score. You get stopped, they score. At least it's, you know, they score, you score, they score, you score. Because Clarkson's got it going. And Clarkson now, these two games, whoo. Now I'm going to put the whole bench play on him. There are other guys struggling off the bench. You know, it's not... It's not going well, you know. But you expect Clarkson to kind of offset some of the stops you can't get. He comes in and, you know, you expect some instant offense out of him because that's what he's been in so many games this year. But not these last couple. Four for 17 against the Thunder and now a two for 13 against the Lakers. So, hey, law of averages, he's six for 30. Hopefully it doesn't get in his head. Uh, You know, six for 30 is 20% right on the button. And so hopefully he's got some big games coming, you know. Uh, so they got to shoot the three better. they got to quit turning the ball over in bunches. And they need better play out of the bench. That's, there's three negatives, right? And I think we can all agree on those. Now, some of the positives. I know some of you don't want to hear it. You just want to beat the club up after a loss. But that was better. Don't tell me that wasn't better. 
you know, first off, the Lakers are better than Oklahoma City. Second off, the Jazz competed in this one for long stretches. Donovan Mitchell, <laughs> in the third quarter, he was swearing on the court. And the camera caught him. He could read his lips. He was the only one on camera. I think they were shooting free throws, and he was down a half court or the other end of the court or whatever. You know, he was clearly frustrated, and he's clearly pissed. And so, I mean, that's great. Be frustrated and pissed. But, you know, I can be frustrated and pissed and go out there and, you know, just get my butt kicked in an NBA game, right? That's not enough. You need your talented players to be frustrated and pissed, and you need them to answer with big games. And I thought he did it. He came out and tried to set a tone, uh, 21 points at the half, 33 in the game. He had a big game. And Conley, 24 points and 8 assists. You know, that it's a smaller backcourt, and it's hard for smaller guys going against bigger guys to get space and get their shots up, but they struggled to stay in front of Mitchell. Mitchell and Conley got open and stuck shots. And, you know, I really... I think you just got to give it up. That's the kind of backcourt you envision, best case scenario. Now, Anthony Davis went off, you know, and the Jazz don't match up with him. Many people in the league don't match up with him. There's a reason that LeBron and the Lakers tampered and pulled him out of New Orleans. I mean, there's a reason they went and got him, right? I mean, the guy is just so big. He is so skilled. Even when you defend him well, he just shoots over people because of his size. Uh, He had a monster game. They're playing the Grizzlies next. The Grizzlies don't have AD, right? If the Jazz play like they did against the Thunder, they're going to lose to the Grizzlies. Now, that game that game was an F. It wasn't even a D. It wasn't a D-. minus. It was an F. It was a terrible game. Honestly, I thought the Jazz played B-plus basketball in this one. I'm going to mark them down for a lot of things, but I thought they competed. I thought they did a lot of things right against a very talented team, a team that largely rides two stars, but had, you know, LeBron was on, and AD was out of his mind. You know, LeBron, I thought when he, I thought LeBron sensed in the third quarter the game was there for the taking, and he made some plays, and he helped that run. You know, if, if they don't have LeBron, is it a 19-2 to run? You know, a pass here, a bucket there. Um, you know, LeBron, it's a regular season. And LeBron cruises for chunks of games and looks for a spot to make a difference, right? He's not at the point in his career where he can just be pedal to the metal for 35 minutes every night. So he plays his 35 minutes, but he picks a spot, and when he sees a chance, he drops the hammer. And there you go. So, if the Jazz, who I thought, and, and maybe you don't, maybe you think B plus is too nice, but I don't think you should grade them lower to B. That wasn't a B minus game. No way. You know, the Lakers clinched the one seed in the West. The Lakers are good, and AD was out of his mind. So, I, I think the Jazz played pretty well. And if they play like that, they can beat Memphis, right? Next game up, beat Memphis, get to two and two. Really, nobody thought these guys were going six and two. Everybody picked them to go between three and five. And five and three. So they haven't done anything outrageous. You know, you look at the games they have on the schedule beat New Orleans, beat Memphis, beat the Spurs twice, right? Beat the teams that are eight or below. Now, you got to play some good teams. And you played the Thunder and you got beat. And you played the Lakers and got beat. Well, okay, this stuff happens. You know, they're one and two right now. And I know some of you are going to say they're lucky they're not 0 and 3. You're right. They could have lost that Pelican game, but they didn't. You know, they could have won the Laker game, but they didn't. You are what your record says you are. They're one and two here. But 
If they play like they did in this Laker game, they're going to beat the Grizzlies on Wednesday. That's their next game. All right, we've got the best of the postgame show coming up uh, later, and we will get to that. But coming up next, uh, college football. Some news out of the Big 12 yesterday. We had Dennis Dodd on the show yesterday morning. Obviously, he didn't know everything that was going to happen, but he did have some great things to say about college sports. We're going to get to that with Dennis Dodd next. I'll tell you about the Big 12 announcement, how it impacts BYU. It's mostly bad news, but it leaves it open for good news. Um, We'll get to that next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. So the Big 12 with the news on their schedule, they're going to do nine plus one, nine conference games and then one non-conference game. Uh, there was talk about them bringing BYU in, making BYU a conference member for one year the way Notre Dame was, uh, but they decided to go with the one non-conference game. So that could be BYU in some cases. Uh, TCU and Texas Tech both need games. Um, so maybe there's possibility there. Oklahoma State has an opening for a game, but they could just play Tulsa. It'll be interesting. A lot of the schools have a game, but they're against really lower-tier opponents. And I think the question is, will ESPN lean on them and say, hey, you can't just give us this game. you got to give us something real. I mean, Oklahoma can play Missouri State because nobody can tell Oklahoma what to do. Oklahoma can do whatever they want. Um, but... Uh, you know, West Virginia and Baylor are playing some low-end teams. Uh, nobody wants to watch Kansas no matter what, so, you know, that's that's not going to work. But SMU just announced the SMU-TCU game is off, and everyone kind of assumed, I think, that that would be the game um, that they kind of lived on. Now, it's not official, but there are reports that SMU isn't going to play it. And TCU's had their other two games canceled. And they got to be home games. Texas Tech has a game at UTEP. Maybe they could move it. But if they can't move it to Texas Tech, then Texas Tech got to find somebody else. So there may be some games there for BYU. We'll have to see how that, uh, how that plays out. Right now, BYU's got officially six games. Six canceled, six still on, and it doesn't look like anybody's playing 12. So they don't really need six games. You know, they need four to get to 10, which is where everybody else is at. All right, so with that as a backdrop, we talked to Dennis Dodd, CBS Sports, had a lot of good things to say about what's going on in college sports. Now, he will reference, you know, we don't know what the Big 12 is going to do yet because when he was on, he didn't know, and, and now we do. But aside from that, he's got a lot of good info. Here's Dennis Dodd with PK and I. Dennis, good morning. David, Patrick, how are you guys? <laughs> We're doing all right. Uh, we booked you to talk football, and then all of a sudden, the their stories about the Power Five might run and run their own fall championships, and that's superseded by the Washington Post with audio of a phone call with the SEC on player safety, and the players are worried, and that's all trumped by Pac-12 players who reportedly uh, want coaches and administrators to take pay cuts and want more money and want health coverage and holy cow my head is spinning what do you make of this weekend <laughs> i don't know where do you want to start <laughs> anywhere anywhere yeah, you really. think you got a little info because as a national guy you can get people on the phone that a lot of people can't get on the phone 
Yeah, I, I spoke to one of the um, Pac-12 players last night and just asked him to explain things and and how this started. And I also talked earlier in the day to Ramogi Huma, who's the activist um, out of Southern California, who, who uh, unlike other times, he didn't start this. These players came to him and, you know, one of the ideas, how do we do this? And it manifested itself, as you saw yesterday in that Players' Tribune post, um, a press release where the, where I, I called it a manifesto. It was, you know, if indeed there are hundreds of uh, Pac-12 players involved, that would suggest they have the leverage and power to, you know, boycott or not play the season. And the, the guy I talked to last night, Jaden Grant, defensive back from Oregon State, say they're absolutely united in that. I did, and I did ask him. I said, you know, it's it's a bit of a big ask for the Pac-12 to give up 50 percent of its revenue and some of this other stuff. And he said, yeah, it's a big ask, but we think, you know, we think it is deserved um, at this point. You know, they're sick of being. I don't know what the term is. I don't know what the term they used exactly, but um, you know, the things they're asking for is things they don't have, and that's all. That's all mentioned with the reminder that I don't think players have ever had it better. Uh, but they don't have as much as they should have, I guess, right now. So I don't know that anybody could really be disagreeing as far as the concerns of safety. That seems that that's paramount. Yeah. And signing waivers and all, that kind of makes you a little bit nervous. So their thoughts on that are legitimate. And I think they would have complete and total public support there. The other stuff, how much do you think public support would be behind that? Uh, Again, I don't know if, you know, asking for 50% of the revenue and for, uh, I think, Larry Scott in his office to take, I think the quote was substantial pay cuts. I don't know if that's doable. You know, you are, you're paid what you're worth. You're paid what somebody will pay you. You That's what you're worth. That's getting a little bit private. Is Larry Scott overpaid? I think we could do a whole show on that. Probably yes. But I don't think that's the point here now. The point and they pointed it out, is it took a combination of really Black Lives Matter, George Young, and the pandemic to get to this place. And I think I saw in an athletic story last night that they now say they have, excuse me, 400 players involved in this. So we'll see how how strong it is. Um, They don't go to camp, the the Pac-12, I don't think, until August 17th at the earliest. So they've got some time here to meet with the Pac-12, if indeed that happens. So does this tamp down the whole Power Five is going to separate from the NCA? Because, man, I was reading stuff and it seemed like that thought was really gathering momentum. Of course, all from, you know, unnamed ADs who don't want I get why they don't want to put right. their, their name and their university name out there. But it did seem like the quotes were much more determined. And now this might make them think, boy, it does help to have a bad guy to say, well, we just can't do that. NCA rules. Because if it's just the Power Five out there, good luck. Well... It's the story. The original story in Sports Illustrated was significant because even though the quotes were not attributed to anyone, they were saying them out loud. You mm-hmm. know, a Power Five commissioner. And I, I followed up, and you know, we all got our ass beat on that story. But I, I confirmed the reporting, and there's absolutely that feeling out there that uh, the, the Power Five could break away and absolutely could stage fall championships. I think that's the first thing to think about if the Board of Governors votes tomorrow to do away with them. I talked to one one official yesterday who said, yeah, we would go to a campus, 
gets eight volleyball teams and stage a national championship. It doesn't cost that much. You know, we can do that. The players will want to play. Um, but there's so much at work here, guys. You know, you, you've got the fact that, um, you know, the, the Power Five is trying to restrict the players in NIL, um, and yet, you know, would have the money to stage these championships. Uh, the other thing, as I said, reporting back to the the animosity between the Power Five and the NCAA has been growing for some time to the point that now they're really frustrated at the lack of leadership, the lack of direction. Um, really all we've gotten out of the NCAA and this whole thing are some kind of wacky statements from Mark Emmert who, you know, who will just come out of nowhere and say, oh, I don't know if the season's going to start on time. Well, by the way, Mark, it's not, <laughs> you're not going to have a damn thing to do with it. You know, it's going to be these schools who decide <laughs> when they're going to go. And then, uh, you know, the, the drug testing, while noble, it's just recommendations. And a lot of people criticize that it's only once a week. I think you're seeing in other sports, uh, you know, baseball's testing every other day. Look at the pickle they're in. And there's going to be an outbreak probably by the middle of this month when students start coming back to campus with just students interacting with each other. So that's not going to be a good optic on football. Do you see if they have some type of uh, separation that there have been a lot of calls for a some form of uniformity with a commissioner of the sport of college football? Is that no. something that you see as any form of possibility? <laughs> no. These guys can't even agree on how many conference games they're going to play. How do you expect right. them to follow one single leader? I mean, I, I think the message is what the message was. It's not so much that, you know, the Power Five is going to separate right now. It, it, it's been a gradual process anyway since the autonomy vote in 2015. But just the mere fact that they can, that they're rattling these sabers saying, you know, you better not do this or else. Um, you know, I, I don't know if it'll happen. I think they'll get their way. I think the Board of Governors will either not take a vote on this or vote to stage the fall championships or just separate things and, and cancel Division Two and Division Three. And, hey, the rest of you guys can, can power ahead any way you want. You know, that includes the FCS football playoffs. Um, obviously, they don't control the FBS. That's a contract between the, the teams, ESPN, and the college football playoffs. So that'll go on if they can. But I, I just think the message is, no, there's not – people keep asking that. Hey, I got great candidates, but they're never going to be approved. I mean, look what the Big Ten did last month, completely off the reservation, went and, oh, we're going to do conference games only. I can't tell you how how mad some of these commissioners were at that. Um, so you're not, you know, in TV negotiations, are you going to tell the Big Ten it can't earn $50 million a year and everybody has to be uniform? Absolutely not. So that's not going to happen. Dennis Dodd joining us, National College football writer for CBSSports.com. You know, it seems a long way away, but it is a lot of money to a lot of schools. If the Power Five is indeed pulling away, does that create two postseason college basketball tournaments? Neither which of one could command the attention that the first one did, but football's so big and basketball's so secondary, it doesn't matter. Because it seems like... The group of five and everybody else, that wouldn't have the power brokers you need. And the power five wouldn't have the just the charm and the size and the, the, the magic that the current tournament has. It seems like it would just wreck it. I think, I think this thing could take many shapes. It's already taken many shapes. You've seen from the budgetary shortfall since the tournament was canceled, the further separation of the group of five 
in the Power Five in, in, in perception only. I and mean, look at Ak- Akron's teetering on the brink of being a university. They may not be here next month as a university. You can imagine what's going through there. And that being said, no, people think of this as them. Well, this, how are they 65 teams? Are they going to play each other every Saturday? No. They'll still play those teams. They need those teams to fill out their schedules, and those those Coop of Five need, need the money from the guarantee games, at least in football. What they would, could they set up their own basketball tournament? Absolutely. Um, for the reason I just mentioned, they'd have enough teams and they'd get top dollar for it. In fact, one of the things the Power Five wants, and I don't know if they'll ever get it in the near term, is that, you know, the NCAA controls that championship. That's their biggest moneymaker. And I, I know the biggest schools are frustrated. They play for, uh, uh, what do they call it? They play for shares, they play for units. It's not. It's an average of what your conference has earned the last five years, and every time you win, you get two hundred and fifty thousand uh, dollars split. You know, among your conference peers, they don't want that. They want what they have in football, where eighty-one percent, I think, of the college football playoff money goes to the Power Five, and that fuels those programs because those names, those traditional names, what they bring to the table. Uh, mean more, and they brought more to the sport than anybody else. It sounds kind of crass, but that's the way it is. So we got a lot of BYU fans who be interested in your answer to this, and I know it's uh, probably opinion mixed with some thought as far as what the Big 12 is going to do with their conference football scheduling. Uh, that is supposed to be decided tonight, actually. The presidents, I think, are voting tonight. Really, uh, a lot's on the table. I, I talked to Bob Bowlesby Saturday, maybe yesterday, I can't remember, the commissioner. Definitely 12 games still on the schedule, a full season. Um, also, nine games plus one non-conference game is on the table. The ADs were kind of split when they talked about it Friday. So they're giving those two options to the presidents um, tonight. Uh, the problem with, with really playing 12 or 9 plus 1 is there are no power 5 options for the Big 12 uh, in a 9 plus 1. They just don't have them. You look at the remaining games on their schedule and they're they're pretty light. A lot of Missouri Valley, a lot of Conference USA. So if they go to 9 plus 1, or I'm sorry, to a full 12 game season, and they're going to they're gonna have to go get, get games somewhere. I know that there's a lot of MAC teams that we need games. We know that from the Big 10 thing. Uh, BYU needs games, so that would help. That may help BYU. Um, the other part of that is when the Big 12 would start, and they've already got two games scheduled on August 29th. They've got uh, Kansas plays Southern Illinois, and I think Oklahoma plays Missouri State. So they, they, that's going to be their philosophy. I don't think they care that. What is it? Uh, Pac-12. I think it's starting September 26th. They're going to be games all over the map if we play all over that month. Dennis Dodd, CBSSports.com, joining us. Uh, we haven't heard from a lot of the group of five leagues. I guess maybe the Sun Belt actually is going to try and play 12. We'll see if yep. they can find that many games. What is the Mountain West going to do, especially with the New Mexico governor suggesting New Mexico doesn't play? Hawaii's got a 14-day quarantine. That seems to wreck both Hawaii home games and road games. What do you think this is going to look like? Yeah, that wrecked my vacation plans, too, by the way. Um, I bet. <laughs> there, uh, early on, Craig Thompson, the commissioner of the Mountain West, said, I, I remember writing the story, yeah, we will soldier on 
with whoever can play if it comes to that. You know, if and now it's turned out that got more clarity with the New Mexico situation in Hawaii. If they can only go with ten teams, then they will go with ten teams and figure it out. So, and I, I think by the time that this is all over, because the, the group of five are all going to take their cues now from what happens with the Power Five. You probably end up with conference games only. I don't know that for sure, um, but there, you know, there's something to be said for sort of keeping it keeping the games within a quote-unquote bubble. Now, that's not possible in college, especially out west. There are no bus, there are very few bus games. You know, Colorado State, Wyoming is a bus game. Um, the Big Ten goes from Nebraska to the Atlantic Ocean. But you're, if you're in, a, in conference only, you're operating under the same testing procedures, um, same protocols every week. I think the Power Five have already agreed that they will share test results no later than 24 hours before game time, which to me is ethically sound. And I think the other conferences will go to that, but I think the other leagues will probably be forced into doing conference games only just because there's so few opponents out there. What you make of that story that's that we saw? That's right now. Right. Yeah, I think that's that's where we're all at. I understand that and appreciate that perspective. Last week we saw this story of the Pac-12 basically paying the LA Times to write favorable stuff. <laughs> Did that blow you away? <laughs> yeah, that, you know what? That might be, of all these stories in the last week, that might be the most incredible and outrageous because I, just as a member, as a journalist, the part that hit me was, okay, it's 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 dumb and stupid enough to try to buy coverage. In what world does $100,000 affect the bottom line of the LA Times in any way? You know, you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, we need this $100,000, yeah. so we're going to... You know, we're going to assign an intern who's been groomed to do this to cover the Pac-12. By the way, that's what you should be doing anyway. You know, forget about taking money for in exchange for advertising. Um, so that that was the most outrageous thing. Who in, who in command there at the LA Times thought that was a good idea? It almost, you know, I, it, of all the missteps the Pac-12's made, I guess I wasn't that surprised because they're do, so desperate for positive coverage. But it was a black eye for everyone. It was horrible. So, somewhere in this, maybe there could be some actual sports news instead of all this business news. Uh, Is there any, does it look to you like the grip that the top, you know, four or five teams have on the sport can be broken? Or assuming there's a season and a playoff in whatever time frame, should we just start penciling in Alabama, Georgia, Oklahoma, Clemson, Ohio State? Is it really five or six teams for four berths? Yeah, it it, it really is. you know, if it's mostly conference games only at the top now, so maybe there'll be some more competition. But the schools you just mentioned have separated themselves so much in their own conferences and college football that, yeah, I, I can't see past those six or whatever it was. Oklahoma's won, I think it's five straight Big 12 titles. Ohio State, I don't think there's enough made of that. They're, they're like the ace Clemson in the ACC. The Big Ten's better than the ACC, but it's hard to, it's hard for anybody to even get close to Ohio State. And by the way, it's going to get a lot harder for people to compete. He, you know, uh, Ryan Day just taking off. Um, Georgia, besides having a hundred million dollars in reserves to get through this thing, is doing great. That 
you know, they've already won an SEC. They've already been to a national championship game. Um, and now, you know, their quarterback situation looks really, really good. And Kirby Smart's a heck of a coach. So, I, no, I, I think those names you mentioned, you can probably pencil them in for the playoffs. If we get that far, it's going to be more the same, really, for years. I mean, they, they've mastered whatever it is. They've got the secret sauce. They've got them head and shoulders above everybody else. Nick, how about Nick Saban in recruiting? Second in the country at four, four or five stars at age 69. I mean, I, I dived into that the other day. And he's got, I want to say they've got four players in the top 15 and a bunch, nine in the top 50 at their position. Or It's unbelievable what he does with no quarterback. They'll set at quarterback right away. They still have to find a quarterback. Is Oregon even close to getting into that? I mean, we hear Oregon pulling away from the Pac-12. We read a lot yeah. of good stuff about the recruiting, but that's a whole other level to get to. Yeah. No, no I, I, I don't know about separating themselves uh, in the sense that Ohio State is separated in the, in the Big Ten. But I, I do say this. I think uh, Oregon is the flagship program of the league right now. Uh, because Mario Cristobal's in a very short period of time. You mentioned recruiting. Um, and instilled a philosophy there where if you really watch them, they play more like an SEC team than anybody else. Um, obviously, they had a really good quarterback, but he made sure they got good in, uh, in both lines really quick, that they were going to beat people up there and let the chips fall where they may. This, this uh, Thibodeau kid from Southern California is unbelievable. He'll be a sophomore. And I think Oregon in the top ten or top five. So Mario Cristobal, who came, you know, who who was a coach at FIU, offensive line coach at Alabama, national championship, but but a Cuban American whose roots go to southern, to South Florida, he's absolutely fallen in love with the Northwest, and I think that's the biggest thing here. But he's not going to use this as a stepping stone job. I think he wants to retire at Oregon. He loves it so much. Um, and that would suggest they're going to be good for a long time. Well, Dennis, we appreciate a few minutes with uh, multiple crazy stories breaking around the country. Thanks for coming <laughs> on and, and trying to make sense of it, even though, you know, who knows what's coming next. So, well, you know, we don't know what's coming next. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. All right, there's Dennis Dodd, and he didn't know at that point that the Big 12 was going to go 9 plus 1. Now we know maybe BYU can get a game of TCU. Maybe they can get a game of Texas Tech. Um, maybe one of the other schools will be told, hey, we got to give some ESPN some better games because they got to play home games, and a lot of them are against some you know lower-tier teams. and People may not want to watch that. ESPN might lean on somebody. You never know. All right, best of the Jazz postgame show coming up. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. 
Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Utah Jazz got beat by the Lakers. Played well for a long stretch. Then late in the third quarter, they gave up a 19-2 run. It was uphill all through the fourth quarter. And the Lakers go on and win the game, 116-108. Let's get to the best of the postgame show. True Jazz recap here on DJ and PK on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The Jazz came up short against the Lakers last night, 116-108. Kept it tight through the first half. Uh, in the third quarter, had some turnover issues. The Lakers caused a little separation and uh, didn't really look back from there. Overall, the Jazz performance, uh, not entirely negative. Some good performances from Donovan Mitchell. Uh, Mike Conley played really well. Certainly a different story than uh, Saturday night against Oklahoma City. But nonetheless, come up short against the Lakers. Anthony Davis had 42 to lead all scorers. LeBron James had 22. Both those guys with really spectacular nights. All right, let's uh, listen to some postgame sound. Let's start with Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder. Hey Q, you guys were up uh, 71-67 in the third quarter. Your next 10 possessions end with five missed shots, five turnovers. What kind of went wrong in, the, in that crucial stretch for you? Well, you know, the shots we got, I think, were good looks. Um, you know, we we didn't make them. Um, you know, and a lot of times when that happens, they're running out the other way. And obviously the turnovers. Um, we, we were playing in a crowd. Um, I think their length got to us a little bit. Um, you know, but we got to make quicker decisions and get off the ball. But, you know, I felt like we, you know, we were unselfish. We attacked. Um, they're obviously a really good defensive team. And some of those mistakes hurt us on the turnovers. And then, you hit a couple shots, it mitigates that, and they're taking the ball to the net instead of running at us. Sarah Todd, Deseret News. Glenn, kind of on the other side of things, um, that first half and in particular the second quarter stretch was really good. It seemed like night and day from the other night. What were some of the things that you saw that improved? You know, defensively, we did a great job on the defensive glass. I, I think that was one of the biggest things. They're so so good and effective, you know, scoring in the paint, whether it's post up or drives, or um, they really put pressure on the rim. I thought we did a better job um, coming over and helping one another. And like I said, I'm happy we got up 43. So we're going to have to make more shots to win, but I thought we had really good energy and activity on defense and got a good, you know, good contributions up the bench when guys got in foul trouble. Um, you know, Tony Bradley and Juan Morgan were able to come in and hold it down for us. Ryan Miller, KSL.com. Hey, Quinn, I know you've pushed these guys to keep shooting, be aggressive, be aggressive. Is it difficult to keep sending that message when the shots aren't falling? It's not difficult to keep sending the message. I think sometimes for our guys, um, you know, you want to make plays um, when, when they're not falling. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I just thought we got locked in a little bit. Um, you know, you want to put pressure on the rim if you're not making shots. And I think when we put pressure on the rim and kicked it out, we got, got great looks. So obviously those are ones we got to take. Um, we had some possessions where the ball really moved and we got really wide open breeze and you know, we weren't able to knock him down. Uh, Andy Larson, Salt Lake Tribune. When uh, Donovan got went to the free throw line 12 times tonight, is that something that he's been developing or you've been developing his game? 
Well, it, it's been a, a point of emphasis. I know it's something that he and Johnny work on all the time. Um, you know, I thought, you know, his reads in the paint, getting to the line, attacking the rim, when to shoot and pull up, when to take him free. There's a lot going on for him um, because he's able to make a lot of plays. And, uh, you know, we've seen that from him. And as you said, the fact that he's getting to the line, he was also creating for his teammates. Um, just a lot of good things for Donovan. I know all of us are going to look back at, at some of the times that, um, you know, we got kind of locked in the crowd. But, you know, th those are things we need to work on. We'll keep working on them. And there's good things for tonight. Last question is from Ben Anderson, kslsports.com. Quinn, you said you were looking for more spot-up threes, and it seems like you got a lot of those tonight. What what led to that, despite the fact that they weren't going down? Well, I, I thought the ball moved. Um, it made quicker decisions. And, uh, you know, when you're unselfish, you're doing that and you know, working from getting good shots to trying to get great shots. And, uh, you know, again, they're, they're so long and they close out so well. Those shots sometimes are not as easy as they look. Um, but as I said before, you know, we need to keep shooting. There you go. That's Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder after his team lost in Orlando last night, 116-108 to 108 to the L.A. Lakers. Let's now let's hear from Rudy Gobert. Rudy with a nice night. 16 points on 6 of 6 shooting. He was 4 of 5 from the line. He had 13 rebounds. He also had a block shot and a couple of assists and had this to say after the game. All right, we'll start with Chris and Kenny, Jazz TV. Hey, Rudy, you guys had three solid quarters tonight. That third quarter obviously struggled with turnovers. What was happening during that time that challenged you guys? Uh, you're right. I mean, I think we, throughout the game, I think we played uh, very good basketball. And in the third quarter, we had a few more turnovers. I think, you know, they, they raised the intensity and, uh, and you know, and we, we have to get better. We have to get better uh, executing the plays and, and uh you know, and finding the open man when uh, the intensity, defensive intensity is high. That was a great test for us. Thank you. Sarah Todd, Deseret News. Rudy, we saw a little bit more of what you talked about kind of earlier last week when you said that you've been working on kind of moving around in the post and passing out of when you get the ball down there. Can you just explain a little bit how, what kind of work you've been doing and what that looks like? I think it's, it's really be able to see what's going on, first of all, and uh, to be able to be patient with the ball and be able to either finish, uh, find the and, you know, and I feel like, you know, when I'm, when I'm being put in these situations, you know, I'm able to, to make the right play most of the time. And, uh, you know, I think we, we're going to continue doing it because I think he's going to help the team. Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Hey, Ruby, during that third quarter stretch that, that got referred to, did the Lakers do anything differently during that time? Quinn mentioned in his TV interview that he felt like the ball stuck a little too much from, from you guys during that stretch. What, what specifically changed during that time? Uh, that you know the ball the ball stopped moving but more more I think the turnovers you know um, 
when, when these guys, as good as they are in transition, LeBron, AD, all these guys running the floor, you know, and very, very tall, very athletic, and know how to pass, uh, if you give them the ball, you know, it's going to be hard to, to stop them. And, you know, we, we did a great job for three quarters, but in that third quarter, I think we, we really gave them uh, that lead on turnovers, you know. And it's, it's based on that, you know, they raise the intensity and the ball can stop moving a little bit. And we have to remind ourselves, make sure we keep, you know, moving the ball, attack, attacking the rim. And when the ball moves, it's, it's amazing to watch and uh, it's hard to guard. And I feel like the shot's going more. I don't know the percentages on assisted baskets compared to unassisted baskets, but I feel like, you know, when we, when we move it, it's, uh, the shot's going more. And our last question is from Andy Larson, Salt Lake Tribune. Or maybe not. How about Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune? Sorry about that. I think Andy jumped over to talk to Donovan on the other one. Um, Rudy, you guys came into this game struggling from three-point range. You missed your first nine in the first quarter. Looked pretty good from the from three point range in the second quarter, but overall the outside shooting has just not been there. Is there is there anything you can chalk that up to? It, it looks like you guys are getting good open shots and they're just not going that's in. Great shots, you know, and uh, that's really the positive thing. You know, we uh, Donovan did a great job driving and dishing uh, to the shooters and did a great job, you know, playing multiple actions and you know. We got guys getting wide open shot, and that's exactly what we want. You know, some nights the shot's not going to go in, but uh, I think we just got to keep, you know, the, the, our guys and everyone got to keep getting reps in. And, and we know, I mean, I'm 100% confident in George, Jordan, all these guys, Joe, shooting those threes. You know, they, they are great shooters, and, and if they make those shots, I think uh, that's when we're going to reach, you know, uh, our real potential as a team. And we've, we've done it many times this year. There you go. That's Rudy Gobert, his 16 points and 13 rebounds. Let's now let's hear from Donovan Mitchell, who led the Jazz in scoring with 33. All right. First question will be from Kristen Kenny, Jazz TV. Hey, Don, looking at tonight, three solid quarters from you guys. Obviously, the third quarter turnovers struggle there a bit. What was going on? What shifted during that time that created those challenges for you? They turn the pressure on. I think, you know, the biggest thing for us, um, when they turn the pressure up, we got to be able to execute even uh, even better. And um, we turned the ball over way too many times. They did a great job taking us out of our actions, kind of what the OKC did to us. And we just got to find a way to continue to, to push through. You know, we're going to have those mistakes. But um, and we went up six, and I think we kind of they kind of turned up even more. And then we were, next thing you know, we're down 12 or whatever. So, honestly, the biggest thing for us just to continue to play through that pressure and, and be mentally sharp throughout the whole way through. Okay, next question, Tony Jones, The Athletic. Uh, Donovan, you guys, I mean, you guys were, were the best three-point shooting team in the league um, from from October to March. And uh, through three games, you guys have not shot well. Uh, it's just, just about a matter of just keep at it, keep shooting. Uh, and, and how um, and, and how much is your success in the bubble tied to you, you guys' ability to start making these shots? 
I think it's just go down to taking those shots. I think the biggest thing for us is continue taking. You, you miss 100 percent of the shots you don't take, you know. So honestly, you know, we, we got some good looks. We got what we wanted. Sometimes they just don't fall in. When that's the case, you got a, a defensive effort, and not the effort, defensive. Uh, what we do on the defensive end has to turn up even more. And um, you know, when you got guys like AD and Brown over there, kind of orchestrating things, you got to be real locked in, especially when the shots aren't falling. But uh, we like the looks we got. Uh, unfortunately, they all didn't go in. Okay, next question, Andy Larson, Salt Lake Tribune. Donovan, you got to the free throw line 12 times tonight. You did well against that with that in the Pelicans as well. Um, has that been a focus for you, and, and how has that part of your game come along uh, over the break? I feel like that would just make my life a lot easier um, for starters. I think, you know, getting to free the line, you know, seeing the ball go in, you know, kind of taking taking a break, you know, especially when you get to the later quarters, fourth quarter, getting to the line, you know, being able to get extra breath, extra rest, and then go ahead and knock, knock the free throws down. And um, that's really been my focus is just trying to make, make things simple. Uh, slowing down has been a huge piece for me, just continuing to do that. i got to be way more consistent with that, you know, and I think tonight I did a solid job of it. I can be even better. And, um, but that's been a, that's been a prime focal point for the past two years. And I think I'm, I'm doing slightly better and I can do more. That's Donovan Mitchell, 33 points from him last night, 9 of 22 shooting, 4 of 10 from 3. was 11 of 12 at the line, 4 assists, and 5 rebounds. But nonetheless, the Jazz come up uh, a little bit short, 116-108 to the Lakers. Up next, the Jazz take on uh, the Grizzlies coming up tomorrow night. Uh, excuse me, not even tomorrow night, tomorrow afternoon. That game will tip off at 1230. Pre-game coverage right here on The Zone will begin at 1130. There's the best of the post-game show. What is trending coming up next stay with us